Hello, I'm Kendra Winchester here with Jacqueline Masters, and this is Reading Women, a podcast inviting you to reclaim half the bookshelf by discussing books written by or about women. And this is episode 73, where we're talking to you about books by or about Indigenous women from around the world. You can find a complete transcript and list of all the books mentioned today linked in our show notes. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. So before we jump into today's episode, I think it's uh, important to take a moment for Toni Morrison, who passed away um, since we last recorded. Yeah, it was incredibly saddening to hear the news, um, but it's been wonderful to see her words and her life um, being celebrated and people talking about her book so much again. You know, in my lifetime, she was the greatest American living writer. And so it was just a really sad moment for literature. You know, we lost Mary Oliver earlier this year. It's just... This year's been a lot. It has, and she's been such a big influence on so many other American writers, particularly uh, people like Jesmyn Ward. Yeah, I know one of our friends um, calls Jesmyn Ward Toni Morrison's heir apparent, and I would have to agree with Russell about that. (laughs) Yes, that's a very apt description, Russell. And also, you know, she was redoing her audio books. Uh, when they came out, they were abridged, which was the custom at the time, you know, in the 90s, because you had cassettes and you would abridge them so they could be on two cassettes. But she was going back and reading her own book. So Song of Solomon came out unabridged on audio for the first time in 2017. And that's really where her progress stopped. So there's still some books that are not read unabridged wow. yet of hers. Those big boots to fill. <laughs> Whoever's going to finish that job. Yeah, definitely. I personally would have Jasmine Ward read because she has an amazing narration voice when I've attended her events at readings. She's just phenomenal. Oh, that's true. She'd have a, and I feel like she'd capture the, the tone and this, the same way that Toni Morrison would. Yeah, and it's very interesting reading Toni Morrison, who writes about, you know, primarily the Midwest, several, you know, sections of Appalachia as well. And then you have Jasmine Ward, who's writing about the South and the Mississippi Delta region. Mm. And even though they're very much regional writers in that sense, and I know some people view regional writing as like a belittling term, and I don't mean that at all. I mean, they wrote about a specific region and about their community's experience in this region and how important that was. Um, in a universal way uh, to so many different people. And I think it takes such great skill to honor and respect your community, but also critique it, then also make it universal for others. It's just... And no one else was doing it. Yeah. Which, I mean, there was pioneers in so many senses. I, I don't know really how you move from Toni Morrison. Um, no. <laughs> so for the other part of our new section, uh, Jacqueline, you have a Australian literature prize that you're going to tell us about. Yeah, so earlier this week, uh, Readings, which is an independent bookstore in Melbourne in Australia, they released their shortlist for their prize for new Australian fiction. So they've been running the prize for five years now, and they name six books every year, and they name a winner in late October. Uh, But this year, there were five of the six books were written by women, which was wonderful to see. And they're all works of fiction. And they're all either debut or the second novels by those authors. So I'd only read one of the books on the list when the list was announced. So I'm really looking forward to checking out the other five. Oh, that sounds really great. Was Boy Swallows Universe on that list? Or was that last year? No, but Flames by Robbie Arnott was. That's the other Ah, sort of buzzy Australian book that a lot of people talk about. But that was where I first read it. Oh, that's, that's pretty cool. So when, what's the timeline for this prize? So late October is when they have got listed that they'll announce the winner. So 
I think it's just a short listener winner. There's no other like different steps in the middle. But yeah, I'm really excited to see who wins. We will definitely have to have you keep us updated. You often review some of these books for the newsletter and keep us updated on these different Australian prizes. So um, listeners, you'll want to be sure that you're subscribed to our newsletter so you can get all of the cool updates and also follow Jacqueline on all the things. I look forward to seeing this because I feel like we definitely need more love for Australian literature here in America. So yes, happy to happy to help there. <laughs> <laughs> So our theme for September is Indigenous women from around the world. And we want to do this because while we've talked about, you know, Claire G. Coleman, or we've talked about Lee Erdrich before, and different writers, while we've talked about these women from different parts of the world, we thought it would be a great idea to feature them specifically and feature some different writers uh, so that you could have a place to start. We have a little bit of everything and also exposes you know, our listeners to a lot of different writers who are either Aboriginal or First Nations uh, or a wide range of experiences. And you have an anthology where you also have some Pacifica authors as well. Yeah, the anthology that I've picked for my second book to talk about is really a a sampling of different works by really celebrated writers from all across the Pacific. So we've got Maori from New Zealand, we've got Indigenous Australians, um, we have various other Pacific islands. Um, So it's a really good range of writings from different writers that you may not have heard of before. One of the things that's really important with discussing works by Indigenous writers is acknowledging that they are the traditional owners of the land that a lot of us live on now. And part of that today, we wanted to acknowledge the land that um, I lived on in Australia and that uh, Kendra is living on now in the US. Yes. So we would like to respectfully acknowledge the traditional owners of the land, uh, the Catawba Nation, the Cherokee Nation, the Sana Nation, the Atacapa Ishak Nation, and pay respect to elders past and present. And we respectfully acknowledge the traditional owners of the land, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and pay our respects to their elders past and present. I was listening to a podcast episode of Jonathan Van Ness's Getting Curious. He had a Native American woman, Dr. Brittany Jock, on to talk about food deprivation and how that has a generational effect. And she was talking about the importance of acknowledging the traditional owners of the land and how while it's more common in Australia and New Zealand, it's not common here in the United States. And that's something that she would like to see change. And so what she did was she gave this resource, Native hyphen land.ca and it is a website that gives you a resource where you can type in where you live in the world and it will show uh, the indigenous peoples that traditionally own the land and so you can go find out where you live and then recognize those nations during public events and, and different things like that and she talks about it more there i'm going to link to that episode in our show notes so that you can hear from her why it's important and different things. Definitely go check out that conversation. And I thought she was so informative and gracious. So we have a number of books today that we want to talk to you about uh, by Indigenous women. And Kendra, you have our first pick that we'll be talking about. Yes. Um, we talked about last time, I believe, how uh, Joy Harjo is now our new poet laureate of the United States. And her new poetry collection, which came out in August, is An American Sunrise. Uh, and it is a gorgeous collection of poems um, out from W.W. Norton. And Joy Harjo is a member of the Muscogee Creek Nation. And she writes just 
some of the most beautiful poetry I have ever read. And she writes a lot about history in this collection. And it, it reminds me of Pachinko in that first line that says, history has failed us, but no matter. And it's kind of a lot of themes about history in this collection. And, you know, when I finished finished it, I was just speechless. And I feel, Jacqueline, you had a similar experience. Oh, absolutely. It was, yeah, a very moving collection. I feel like I, I learned a lot through it as well, because obviously I'm not American. I haven't studied American history living here. So I, I feel like I, I definitely learned a lot from what she shared in the collection. Yes. And there's this one poem where uh, Harjo is talking about washing the body of her mother. And she ties in, obviously, this grief that she has, uh, but also how Native peoples were not allowed to practice their own spiritual and cultural traditions. So basically, it was illegal to be Native American in the cultural sense and, and to be able to honor your elders in that way. And, and she ties the, this all of these ideas in beautifully in this single poem. And it, it, is, in, it is incredible. You know, I feel like as far as reading poetry, I'm fairly new. I've only been really looking at this in the last several years. But reading her poetry, she did just so much in such a limited amount of space. And she brings in all of these ideas and and meaning into it. And it is incredible. And it's obvious why she is now our poet laureate, because she does amazing work. I think one of the things that I found really interesting was how she made or how she depicted history, but gave it a really personal perspective to her own personal family experience. Um, and I found that really effective and interesting to read. Yeah. And I think, you know, making history real can sometimes be a challenge when you're in the classroom, but the way that she does it is she gives you, you know, her personal experience of these things. So you have a real person experiencing these very real things that happened in history. And so I, I think this would be a a great collection because it focuses on history. I think it'd be a great collection for high schoolers maybe to read when they're studying this time period of some of the laws that she talks about um, in the poetry collection. Because there are these little uh, paragraphs she'll have before or after poems that talk about the concept that she's talking about. So, and and she says this thing happened in history, and then she'll have a poem about it, Um, or she'll have a poem, and then she'll have this the you know, paragraph explaining what she's writing about after. And I feel like the way she contextualized the poems really does make history alive in that sense. It does. And it's very emotive. And I think high school students would really connect with that kind of engagement in the writing. So this is one of our discussion picks. And so we will be discussing it uh, not only here in our next regular podcast episode, but also over on Goodreads. So if you're not a member of our Goodreads group, definitely head over there um, where we will be discussing an American Sunrise poems by Joy Harjo. And Jacqueline, you have our next pick. Yeah, so our second pick is an Australian collection. It's an anthology and it's called Growing Up Aboriginal in Australia and it's edited by Dr Anita Heiss and it's out from Black Ink. Um, Now this one's a really interesting collection because it covers, I think it's around 50 or so contributors and they were all asked to write a piece of work that looked at what it meant for them to grow up Aboriginal in Australia 
Um, so the, the contributors come from all over Australia, um, from a range of different Indigenous nations. But just to speak directly to um, Dr Hyas, who edited the collection, she's a member of the Wiradjuri Nation of central New South Wales. She was born in Gadigal country and has spent much of her life in Darawal land near La Perouse. Yeah, and this anthology, I feel like is sort of the anthology version of what Tommy Orange was doing in There There, where he wanted to have this like chorus kind of voices for the story that he was telling. But with this anthology, these are, you know, nonfiction essays and collectively they, they kind of have this beautiful harmony and chorus because while they're all very different and there's people from different uh, backgrounds and parts of the country and classes and uh, sexual orientations and all of these different things, they kind of all speak together and you see recurring themes throughout the anthology. I think she manages really well to have the collection speak to a sort of collective experience looking at this central question of what it means to grow up Aboriginal um, without necessarily taking away from each of the individual experiences that get shared. Yeah, and definitely how there, I mean, part of the point is that there's no singular way, but Part of the point is also they are all Aboriginal. So a lot of them have maybe uh, one white parent and one Aboriginal parent, and a lot of it is coming to terms with their Aboriginal heritage. There's a lot of uh, quote-unquote white passing Aboriginal people who are writing essays in this collection and, and how they have to come to terms with that and how also you will have conversations between you know an Aboriginal parent talking to their Aboriginal child about their own culture. As someone who's not from Australia, I found all this very informative because it has a different history. And we both listened to it as an audiobook too as well, which I didn't realise. I thought each contributor had narrated their own section, but the whole book was narrated by six different actors who each managed to make every single contribution sound so unique. Like I, I genuinely thought it was all read by, you know, 50 or so different people. It was incredibly well well performed. They even have, there's one where it's a conversation between two people and they have two different women actors performing each part, which was really great because you feel like you hear the voice almost of the writers in, in their performance, mm. which is fabulous. So that was Growing Up Aboriginal in Australia, edited by Dr. Anita Heiss, and it is out from Black Ink. So Kendra, what was the other book that you wanted to talk about today? So my second pick is Trail of Lightning by Rebecca Rowanhorse, and this is out from Saga Press. And uh, Rowanhorse is part of the Oke Owinge Pueblo Nation, and she's also African-American. And so she wrote this book, which is about this post-apocalyptic fantasy universe where there's been a giant flood and uh, the traditional land of the Navajo Nation uh, is one of the last places um left above above water um they don't exactly know what's happening in the the rest of the continent or anything like that because everything has you know electricity has gone down and uh, all of these different systems that we have relied on are gone and so they have to make their way in this new world but what also came with the flood was a lot of the um, spiritual figures um, from Navajo, like folklore and spiritual practices, kind of like appeared um, and started interacting with human beings again. Um, and so you have this monster hunter, Maggie, who goes around and kills like, the, you know, these 
demons and things that have reappeared. Um, she's also interacting with these God figures. And we start out the book where she had a teacher who was essentially a God, um, but he abandoned her. And she's trying to get over that, like lost love, lost mentor kind of thing. And then all of a sudden, uh, these creatures start appearing and, and murdering people. And she has to figure out who is murdering people, who's behind this, and what's going on. Um, and she is just so cool. That sounds really exciting. Yes, it is the fantasy book that we need in the world right now. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I absolutely loved Maggie in that she is that kind of, and the more, we have this male tradition of the brooding, like broken kind of hero that goes off and saves the world. And, you know, some random woman teaches him how to love again. Well, she kind of turned that on its head. And you have this brooding, you know, woman who's, you know, has this past of violence. And then this dude comes in and will she be able to love again? We don't know, you know. And I love how she turned that on its head and how this woman is a very active, like, (laughs) she's amazing. I have very much a new, like, character crush, which I haven't experienced since maybe I was like 16. (laughs) So So this is absolutely fabulous. (laughs) So this is an, you know, Trail of Lightning is an adult novel, but she's also going to go and write a story like this for Rick Riordan Presents, which really makes sense because if I were to pitch this to someone, it's like, imagine, you know, a book by Rick Riordan only written by women and about, you know, the Navajo people's spiritual traditions. I So I love that Rick Riordan Presents is also including a Native woman in their new series of different women from different ethnicities writing about their traditions and folklore and different things. So I am so excited for her. I read the second one immediately. Um, and the audiobook is actually narrated by a First Nations woman as well. Oh, that's brilliant. We don't talk enough about own voices narrators and how much that's needed. No. I will include the audiobook information in the show notes so you can go check that out. I love it so much. I, bas- I, I can't talk about this book without gushing. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a good sign, though, of a really good book, if you feel that positively about it. (laughs) Yes, and the fact that I immediately went and bought the second audiobook and just listened to them back to back was also a good sign. (laughs) And is there there more in the series for you to go on with? Well, there's Storm of the Locust, which is the sequel. Rebecca Roanhorse took a moment to write one of the new Star Wars books, and then she's writing this new book for the Rick Riordan Presents series. I'm hoping after that she returns to the Six World series. It's definitely ending on a cliffhanger on the end of the second book. So I feel like she did, she left room for more. So I hope there's more, but I haven't heard anything um, definite yet. Fingers crossed. (laughs) Sounds brilliant. (laughs) For sure. So that is Trail of Lightning by Rebecca Roanhorse, and that is out from Saga Press. And we'll be back with more of this episode of Reading Women after a word from our sponsor. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And Jacqueline, you have another pick for us. So I have another anthology to talk about today, and this one is Black Marks on the White Page. And this one is edited by Witi Itiamera and Tina Macaretti, and it is out from Random House, New Zealand. 
So this is an anthology of stories from a whole different range of Maori, Aboriginal and Pacifica writers, both men and women. And a lot of the introduction to the collection really talks about the origin countries um, as, as we define them now. Um, you know, so there are contributors from New Zealand, Australia, Canada, Hawaii, Fiji, Samoa, New Caledonia and Tuvalu. One of the things that I found really interesting in that introduction was this discussion about the collection really being like a literary redrawing of the map and the way that um, Indigenous people look at nation groups being so much more encompassing than the way that we draw maps now and look at sort of national boundaries that way. So I found that really interesting. I've never heard of an anthology this all-encompassing before. Uh, How did you find it? So we recorded an episode earlier in the year on Australian and New Zealand voices, and I realised that I probably don't read enough New Zealand literature, and particularly Maori um, New Zealand literature. So I really was doing a lot of my own research, just trying to find different books that I could read. And this was one of the titles that came up. And Witty Iamera, who's one of the editors, is a really famous and celebrated Maori writer. And he was actually the first um, Maori author to publish a book. And he's edited a few of the, these kind of encompassing um, anthologies now. And I think he really tries to measure the progress that Pacific writings are taking. So this one looked at a 10-year period. So they were taking contributions from... I think it was 2007 to 2017 was the range. So, I mean, it's a huge range of time and, like, range of geographic um, contributions that were coming into the collection. When I was reading this, it was actually Women in Translation Month, um, and there is one translated piece of work in the collection which I thought was brilliant. Oh, so cool. So there's a work in French that is obviously translated um, in this collection, but it is by Dewey Gorode, who's a New Caledonian author. So Garode's work in the collection is, I think it's from a previously unpublished work called The Wreck, and it's translated from the French by Deborah Walker-Morrison and Raylene Ramsey. Um, So I was really pleased to see a translated work. It is the only one in the collection, um, but that was exciting because, like I said, I read this during Women in Translation Month. And there's also some chapters from authors that I'm more familiar with. So Indigenous Australian author Alexis Wright has two chapters of different books of hers in this collection. So she is from the One Year Nation of the Gulf of Carpentaria. And what I really found interesting about the chapters that are included in here is they are from two different titles, And just her style is so versatile and can change so much. And the way that she includes Indigenous language in her writing, like so seamlessly for a reader who isn't familiar with the language, it it reads really powerfully. And um, it was just really interesting to see those contrasts with the different types of writing that she's produced in her career. You know, she's a Stella winner. I believe she's a Miles Franklin winner too. Uh, She's, you know, a very, very celebrated Australian writer. Because she won the Sella a couple years ago for Tracker. She did, yeah. Tracker, her nonfiction, yeah. It sounds like she can do just about anything. <laughs> she can. <laughs> and then one of the other ones that I, this is a writer I hadn't heard of, but she's a very celebrated New Zealand Maori fiction author. That is Patricia Grace. So she was the first Maori woman to publish a book, and that was in 1975, a short story collection called Waiariki. 
and I do apologize if I'm not pronouncing that properly. So in terms of just to give you an idea about some of the subject matter in this collection, so it is uh, fiction and it ranges in different topics from politics throughout history to sex and sexuality, mythology, as well as a lot of exploration of the lives of ordinary people, which I think is always very relatable for readers, which I, I mean, I really enjoyed everything in the collection. I thought it was incredibly engaging. One final thing I wanted to mention about this collection is that it plays a lot with form. It's very innovative in its style and one of the ways it's described in the introduction to the collection is that it does play with that idea of border crossings and you know some of the contributors use various indigenous languages throughout the work there's another one told in verse Uh, so there's a lot of creativity within the collection that I feel like there's something for every reader and I feel like when you're reading this, you'll, you'll be writing down names of people you want to go off and find some of their backlist books or poetry or things like that. So I think it's a collection a lot of people will enjoy checking out. So that is Black Marks on the White Page, edited by Widi Iamera and Tina Macaretti, and that is out from Random House, New Zealand. So now we've come to the part of the podcast where we ask a woman from the Booktronet to come on and to recommend books. So we're very happy to have Mallory White Duck come on the podcast and uh, recommend some books for us. So without further ado, here is Mallory. I'm Mallory White Duck. I'm Anishinaabe from Kitagon Zibi Anishinaabe, which is a community that is located in what is currently Quebec in Canada. And I'm a PhD student at the University of Michigan in the Department of American Culture, who studies Native American literature. I also have a online presence. So I have a bookstagram account on Instagram called Native Girls Reading. And I also tweet occasionally. Um, and my handle on Twitter is my moccasins. It refers to an older blog I had when um, blogging was the thing to do and the sort of late 2000s, I think. Yeah, so you can find me there. The first book that I'm recommending today is Love Medicine by Louise Erdrich. So this is a classic novel. It's part of what people who study Native American literature think of as the Native American Renaissance. So it's a period after 1969 when a lot of Native writers are producing really excellent fiction. And Louise Erdrich is part of that cohort of writers. Um, The book came out, I believe, in 1984. It's her first novel. Listeners might be familiar with her work. She's quite a prolific novelist. But Love Medicine, I wanted to draw particular attention to it because it's my favorite of everything that I've read by Louise Erdrich. Love Medicine is a family epic that at its core is about the intersecting lives of three women, one of whom dies and Sorry, this is a spoiler alert, but it happens in the very first chapter um, at the very beginning of the book. So the book begins with one character, June Cashbaugh, who's trying to make it back to her reservation in the middle of winter, and she freezes to death. And the what comes after that initial chapter is kind of how this 
incident plays out in the families that she's a part of. So the chapters are each told from an, the perspective of an individual character who's part of this family in some way. Yeah, it's really interesting to read about kind of the ordinary everyday lives of the Native American characters, in this case, they're um, Ojibwe or Chippewa characters on a reservation and how their lives kind of touch each other, how they're affected differently by this concept that Louise brings in of love medicine. I chose this book because I wanted to draw some attention to sort of the classic canon that exists in Native American literature, where Native American women are a minority among kind of those writers who are writing. So a lot of them are men. The Renaissance period that I mentioned earlier begins with popular novel by N. Scott Momaday called Housemaid of Dawn. Um, and a lot of the writers who are writing in that period are men. So I wanted to draw attention to one book that's really excellent, that's part of the Native American Renaissance period by a Native American woman or an Ojibwe woman in Louise Erdrich's case. So that's one of the reasons why I chose it. And one of the reasons why it's special to me is because of its characters. So one of the kind of things that Native American literature deals with or is up against are these really predominant kind of stereotypes of Native people as being, you know, magical or there's other kind of negative stereotypes that I won't go into. But what this book does is it really kind of gets at the very complex, everyday, ordinary lives of Native people in this one family. And they're just written so lovingly by Erdrich that I think, yeah, that's one of the reasons it's special to me. It's one of those books that, like when I finished reading it, I was just clutching it to my chest because it was so good. And it is, it's a standalone novel. You can read it on its own, but it's part of a, I think the term is tetralogy, a four-part kind of series where there are three books after it that revisit the lives of these people. But Love Medicine is definitely a good read on its own. Uh, my favorite character in the book is one called Lulu, a woman named Lulu Lamartine. She's um, the mistress of one of the central male characters in the family that we follow. And she has three sons by three different men, one of whom is like a recluse Indian living in kind of the bush on an island by himself. Um, the other, of course, is this married man, and she's just unapologetic in kind of her life, her story, and how it all turned out. I would recommend this book to people who enjoy a good kind of longer family saga that's told through the lives and perspectives of individual characters. So it kind of... Um, moves between that sort of macro level story, but coming down to like the micro everyday experiences of people. Um, I think people who enjoy reading, um, I don't know, maybe Barbara King's Lover or, 
yeah, Jossie would like this book, kind of these books that are written over long periods of time and connect different characters. I think Louise Erdrich's this first book, Love Medicine, kind of falls in that vein. Um, so that was Love Medicine by Louise Erdrich. My second pick is a memoir. So pivoting a little bit from fiction, it is called My Body is a Book of Rules by a Cowlitz and Cascade writer, Alyssa Washuda. So My Body is a Book of Rules is a coming-of-age memoir, which in and of itself is kind of an interesting approach. Often when we think of memoirs or autobiographies, we're thinking of people who are maybe kind of later in their lives looking back at, you know, what they've been through, um, the highlights of their lives. But this is a memoir that looks at a very specific kind of coming of age period in Alyssa Washuda's life where she's attending college and graduate school and she takes an experimental pro- approach i would say to this book so they're not it's not written in necessarily a traditional narrative style where there's chapters and she's telling a story chronologically um she has really experimental chapters that take on, take different forms. So one of them, for example, is a BuzzFeed style kind of listicle that counts her sexual partners and tells um, kind of that about that experience through this interesting form or another chapter is written in the form of a bibliography about kind of the books that she reads throughout her life and what's happening in her life at that different time. So she'll start like as a child loving books about sharks and then um, kind of progressing from there. She'll talk about reading a book that's part of kind of the Native American literary canon and not identifying with it. So there's some really interesting themes in this book. She talks about mental health, body image, and each chapter is kind of broken up by what she calls a cascade autobiography, where she kind of thinks through her relationship to her identity as a Native American woman and the ways in which she is or isn't kind of ascribing to this idea of what like a perfect real Indian is. So one of the reasons I picked this book is because it's one that I've been studying. So I mentioned that I'm doing my PhD in Native American literature. One of the things that I'm really interested in is Native women's memoirs and the ways that they write about their own lives. So I really love Alyssa Washuda's book because it's practicing kind of what I think of as this very radical honesty. So when it comes to like identity politics in Native American communities, often it can be this sort of like a bit of a race to prove who's the realist Indian. And some people can be inclined to just kind of present themselves as this really authentic um, rooted person who doesn't experience any kind of issues with their native identity. And what Alyssa Washuda writes about is not like that at all. So she really confronts those moments when she feels the need to prove her own authenticity. Like she'll talk about, for example, growing her hair long because it 
helps others to sort of see her as Indian. So rather than presenting a certain kind of front, she really kind of digs down into these questions of authenticity using her own personal stories. So she really kind of makes herself vulnerable. She approaches things with humor. She talks about like not having enough self-tanner to make her skin brown enough (laughs) and she approaches it in like a kind of a funny way. Yeah. So I think that's one of the reasons why it's a special memoir. It's really honest, vulnerable, and funny. I think I would recommend this book to millennials. So I mentioned it's a coming of age memoir. Alyssa Washuda, I think would be in kind of the millennial generation. And a lot of what she talks about are Things that I personally identified with being a millennial myself, kind of like coming of age with the internet in the 90s. And there's one chapter she has where her footnotes are all um, from kind of a, I think, an AOL chat room conversation that she had with someone about something that was going on in her life. So I think millennials in particular would be interested in it, but I think anyone who wants to learn about kind of one Native woman's contemporary life would like it as well. Yeah, so that was My Body is a Book of Rules by Alyssa Washuda. Okay, so I think it's important to read books by Indigenous women to understand more about um, Native American or First Nations women's lives through their own perspectives. I don't know how many times I've been in a conversation with people who, even people who would consider themselves kind of woke, who are, since I'm in university, I come across a lot of people doing different kinds of ethnic studies who know relatively little about Indigenous people and kind of Native American lives. And I think memoir is a really interesting genre for learning more, not just about kind of people's life experiences, but also how they understand their identities and their place in the world. So Indigenous people are up against this kind of very specific image that has been cultivated in the U.S. and Canada and other countries that have large Indigenous populations of what kind of an Indian is and what that person looks like. And I think if listeners read Love Medicine and My Body is a Book of Rules, they'll really see that there's a lot more to Native women's lives than maybe what they have been exposed to thus far. Thank you very much for those recommendations, Mallory. And if anyone wants to check out the books that Mallory has mentioned, we'll be linking everything below in the show notes. So those are all of our picks today. Now is a part that I really love is Jacqueline, what are you currently reading? So one of the books that I'm currently reading is Malambimbi by Melissa Lukashenko, and that is out from the University of Queensland Press in Australia. Now, a lot of you might recognise her name because she just won the Miles Franklin Literary Award in Australia for her book Too Much Lip. Um, So this is one of her backlist titles, and it's one that had actually come really highly recommended to me, so I was excited to get to it. And it's basically about a woman called Jo who uses her divorce settlement to 
go and buy a neglected property up in the Byron Bay hinterland, which is a beautiful part of the world. And she's hoping for a bit of a sea change and to make a connection to her land and that sort of thing. And she ends up having not a very relaxing experience of it all. She's dealing with a very moody teenage daughter and she's got some problematic white neighbours who are making things difficult for her. Um, And she also has kind of found herself in the middle of this native title war between uh, two of the local Bundjalung families. And because it's a sort of, it's a part romance as well, um, she becomes involved with a man who's on one of the sides of this natal, native tidal war. So there's sort of some drama there as well, which is really interesting to read. But yeah, I'm really enjoying it. I really like her writing and the way that she writes about class and various political issues and just does that in such an engaging way. I mean, it sounds fabulous. I'm just sitting here like, oh my goodness. <laughs> like, how do you put all of that into one one book? And it's 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 very impressive, and to make it so readable and like the plot so well paced, it's it's really cleverly done, I think. And what are you reading at the moment, Kendra? So I am reading Birdie by Tracy Lindbergh, and this is out from Harper Collins here in the U.S. And Tracy Lindbergh uh, is a award-winning writer, scholar, lawyer, and Indigenous rights activist from the Kelly Lake Cree Nation in British Columbia. And this book came out several years ago, and I believe there was a lot of buzz, especially um, up in Canada, about it. And I just didn't get a chance to read it because I was, I believe, I was in grad school at the time. Um, but I saw Danny at Thunderbird Woman Reads on Instagram uh, talking about it and reviewing it. So I will link her review of Birdie in our show notes. So I found this book on audio and so I'm now listening to it um, and really enjoying it. It's very stream of consciousness isn't quite the right term, but it's very introspective where you're kind of in this protagonist's mind as she talks about her life. And I don't want to give any spoilers, but she experienced some trauma in the history of her life and is trying to come to terms with that. Um, and that's part of the book. Yeah, I would I would definitely recommend, definitely go check out Danny's review. It's a really gorgeous book. So yeah, so that is one of our currently reading. And that's our show. If you haven't yet, please leave us a review in your podcast app of choice. And thanks to all of you who have already done that. Many thanks to our patrons whose support makes this podcast possible. To subscribe to our newsletter or to learn more about becoming one of our patrons, visit us at readingwomenpodcast.com. And be sure to join us next time for our discussion about An American Sunrise by Joy Harjo and Growing Up Aboriginal in Australia, edited by Dr. Anita Heiss. In the meantime, you can find Reading Women on Instagram and Twitter at The Reading Women. And you can find Kendra at KD Winchester and me at Six Minutes for Me. Thank you for listening to Reading Women. Reading Women.